0: Hey, if you have your Bibles, would you just grab your Bible this morning and turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. We're, we're going to push pause on our, on our series. We're on a series right now called Teach Us to Pray. Where we are walking slowly through the Lord's Prayer. But earlier this week, I was reading through the Word, and there was a woman that just reached out and grabbed me. In the scriptures, just, just grabbed a hold of me. I had to clarify that. <laughs> and I tried to shake this woman, but I couldn't because this woman is a tenacious, tenacious woman. Now, I want to talk here for just a few minutes. I want to talk to all the ladies in the house. But listen, this is a word that's really for all of us. It's for all of us. But it is specific, I believe, to women in general. This word is specific to women. So Dan says, what do all the men do? I think what we do is we learn how to partner with the Father in celebrating and affirming and validating and speaking into this incredible unique quality that God put in just a little bit of a different measure in a little bit of a greater measure. He has put this quality in women. And we need to learn from it. We need, to, we need to study it. We need to allow ourselves to be provoked by it. We need to not shut it down. We need, we, need to, we need to recognize that God has put this, I believe personally, in every woman. And if we're seeing that the enemy is attacking this in our women, then we need to stand in the gap. And we need to fight for this quality to reemerge in a redemptive manner and in a manner that produces life. And now that I've got you all on the edge of your seat, you're all wondering, well, what exactly is this quality? Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 21. Verse 21. I feel I have a word specifically for the women in the house today. And that word very simply is that God has created you to be tenacious. Yeah. Yeah. He has created you and he has imparted into the very genetic code spiritually and in your soul and even physically, he has put a tenacity inside of you. And we're going to read about a couple of women here in the scriptures that reveal and reflect to us the glory of tenacity, that reveal to us the beauty and the redemptive power of tenacity. And here's the first one. In the NIV, it says, the faith of the Canaanite woman. And some scriptures might refer to her as a Syrophoenician woman. I'm going to begin in verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Me. Have mercy on me as a mom who is carrying a burden. And here's the burden. Next statement. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. And yet the prayer is not have mercy on my daughter. The prayer is I am here in front of you, in front of your face, and I'm asking that mercy would be extended to me as a mom, as the one who shoulders this burden, where's the dad at? Where's the father at? In this particular story, I'm just curious. Now, there's another story where there is a father that's contending for his demon-possessed boy, but in this story, where's the father at? So it might be safe for us to assume whatever the situation, whether he's there or not there, or whether he's there, but he's not there, even though he's there, if you know what I'm talking about, just because you're there presently, does, physically doesn't mean you are there spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And so we have a woman who has now sought Jesus out. And this is what I find that's interesting, that in Mark's account of this particular story, Jesus was actually kind of withdrawing away from the crowd so that he could get a little downtime. So this woman somehow sniffed him out and find out where he was. And it's extremely, extremely intentional. It's extremely tenacious. She hunts him down. She finds out where the savior is. She's a Gentile. She's heard stories about him and she tracks this man, this man of God, this son of God down and she gets right in front of his face and says, "Have mercy on me as a mom for the burden that I'm carrying." See, moms I believe carry burdens for children in a way, in a way that's different than dads do. You carry it because you were designed to carry Women were designed to carry. That's why they make such great intercessors. Doesn't mean that, women, that, that men should not be intercessors. We intercede in a different way based on the purpose of how God has created us. But women were designed to carry something. And as men, what we need to do is understand the prophetic instruction or the prophetic purpose that God has created women with. And we need to have enough humility and discernment to listen to what it is that they're carrying. That's why when Jesus is being carried in the womb of Mary, he had Joseph had to have a, hey, listen, knucklehead, what she's carrying is from me. Protect it. Cover it. Don't expose her, don't attack her, don't condemn her because what I have put in her, it doesn't look conventional, but it's from me. And your job is to protect what I've put in her to carry. So here is this woman and she's carrying this burden for her daughter. Y'all need to be ready because I'm gonna, God's gonna put something in the women today. And guys, I need your help today. I need you to just join with me because I believe that there's something, and I believe that what the Lord did this morning, that that Lauren was carrying, carrying this burden. I believe that he showed this to me earlier, earlier on the week, and there's something that he wants to blow specifically over the women of the house today. It's not that the men don't need it. Hey, listen, you wait. June's coming. It's just that specifically for the women he's wanting to blow in a way that (gasps) causes life to resuscitate back into our spiritual DNA even. Verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. That is a very gentle and polite way of saying he ignored her. Now, I'm just gonna be honest. I've read numerous, numerous commentaries on this and I'm still confused. I still don't get what's going on here completely because Jesus flat out in the moment of her desperation and crisis, he does not even acknowledge that this woman is here. And I have a theory. Here's my theory. I'm gonna keep bringing, them am to share my theory with you. So his disciples came and urged him, send her away for she she, she keeps crying out after us. That makes sense, doesn't it? Right, if you can't go to the CEO, you go to the gatekeeper, you go to the administrative assistant, you just keep knocking on the door over and over and over again. That's what's going on right here. You ain't gonna let me get to the man, I'm gonna get to all the guys that are surrounding the man because I am shameless. Now, there is something about a woman When it comes to her kids, physically and spiritually, or when it comes to the thing that she's called to carry. Now, I'm just moving this out of just the realm of of, of Mother's Day. I'm moving this into the calling on your life. There is something in a woman, when it comes to the thing they're called to carry, that they're relentless. That's a God thing. That is a God thing. Embrace it, celebrate it. Guys, don't shut that down. They're not nagging. They are called to be relentless because it takes an element of shameless, relentless diligence for them to be who God has called them to be in the earth. So she's like, hey, listen, that's fine. If you're gonna ignore me, I'm not going away. I'm not leaving. My voice is not going to be quiet. And I speak to the voice of every woman in this room today. We need your voice. Don't be quiet. Now understand that all of this has to be governed by the Spirit of God. Okay, that's when it's beautiful and bold and powerful, but you can be powerful and you can be bold and you can do that being submitted to the Spirit of God and to the authority that God's put in your life. So she's like, hey, listen, I'm gonna go to the disciples and then look at verse 24. Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. This is the second time. So the first time he just ignores her. Second time, he gives her this lame statement He's like, listen, my assignment, my purpose, my focus is on Jewish people. Are you Jewish? No. Leave me alone. Because <laughs> I am called to a specific group of people and she's still not going away. Look what she does. She increases her proximity. She says, that's fine. I'll kneel before you. I will kneel before you. And I will get closer into your face, and I will say to you, Lord, help me, help me for your sake. Help me move on my behalf. And then Jesus does the ultimate. This is what he says. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. And every time I read that, Something just doesn't feel right. It doesn't set right. It, I just don't understand it. And I've and and again, you know, scholars don't understand it because on one side of the coin, you'll see some scholars say, "Well, he was actually referring. It was very. He was very tame. It was very domesticated. It wasn't. We're not talking about ugly, mangy dogs. We're talking about the cute ones that are in the house and that you know and, and you know they're, they're they're trying to like. I'm like, it don't matter. You called her a dog, man. And then you have, you have other scholars that are like way on the other side. They say, listen, when you go through and there's three particular passages in the Old Testament where guys reference this, am I a dead dog that you would do this to me? They're saying, no, this was an insult. This was an intentional, strategic insult that Jesus used. But here, listen, let's not get worried about that. Don't get offended at Jesus because here's the point. Here's the point. It's the tenacity of focus. Because listen to her response. Does she say, oh my God, I cannot believe you just, it's son of God. I'm going to show you son of God. She She didn't do that. She doesn't miss a beat. She doesn't bat an eye. She just says, that's right. You're right. You are absolutely right. Call me whatever you want but if I'm a dog, remember that even the dogs get the crumbs from under the master's table. I refuse to get distracted by personal offense when my daughter needs a deliverance. I refuse to get distracted. You call me whatever you wanna call me, but my faith is unmoved. I need an answer. You can stamp me down, you can trample on me, you can insult me, you can badmouth me, but it don't matter because I'm carrying something. I'm carrying a miracle for my family. I'm carrying a deliverance for my daughter. And I I got a man that ain't gonna be here with me right now and you can slap me in the face or spit on me as I turn away, but I'm not leaving here until my daughter gets healed. And look at Jesus' response. This is Jesus' response. Oh, woman, you have great faith. Now, here's my theory. Here's my theory. Because this is not the only person who was not a Jew that Jesus did something for. We find in Matthew chapter 8, there's a Roman centurion. And this Roman centurion, he has a servant that is sick not even a blood child, a servant that is sick. And he says, hey Jesus, will you come and will you heal him? And Jesus so gracious. Oh man, don't worry about it. I'm just gonna, I'll come with you to your house right now. No, 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 don't come to my house. What is going on right here? So we know that it's not just an issue that she wasn't a Jew, okay? We find that in Matthew 17, that there is a father whose son is in the exact same condition. Jesus just comes off the Mount of Transfiguration, he encounters his father, he rebukes his disciples, and he casts the demon out, and there isn't all of this stuff that's going on here. What is happening? Well, you know, I was reading through, and I'm just just reading back through the New Testament, and I I probably wouldn't have caught this if I just hadn't read just huge chunks of different stories together at the same time. And in Mark chapter 5... In Mark chapter five, we we have an interesting story, and I'm just gonna just digress here for one second. We have a story of a gal who has an issue of blood. She's, She's bleeding, she's just bleeding and bleeding, and she gets this idea in her head, if I just track Jesus down, and if I touch the hem of his garment, I'm gonna be free. You guys all know the story? And Jesus says, who touched me? And then Peter goes, are you kidding me? It's like, have you ever been on a bus in Ukraine? Have you ever been in India? Like, there's people around you. You don't got your personal space. Jesus, this is a big crowd. Everyone's touching you. But he knew, no, 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 no. Someone touched me. Specifically, strategically, intentionally. Someone, someone caused virtue to come out of me. Who was it? Who was it? Now. We know in Genesis chapter three when Adam and Eve when Adam and Eve sin, we know that Jesus or no God the Father goes where, where are you where are you? Now did did God not know where Adam and Eve were? Did God not know? No, of course He knew. He knew exactly where they were. Adam and Eve didn't know where they were. See, when God asks you a question, it's not because He doesn't know the answer; it's because you don't know the answer. And the best response when God asks you a question is not to give him an answer, is to say, Lord, only you know. <laughs> I, I see your question and I raise you. <laughs> and I say, w- 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 where exactly am I, Lord? That's exactly what's going on right here. So, so Jesus, I want to think about this. Here's a lady, she touches, she's been healed. She could just quietly walk away. I got what I needed. But Jesus stops everything. Stop the presses. Who touched me? And he's relentless. He keeps asking over and over again until something in this woman rises up and she doesn't want to. How embarrassing, right? How embarrassing. And she goes, it's me, I'm the one. And here's what Jesus says, daughter, daughter. You know what? I think that Jesus kept on pressing the issue because she needed more than a physical healing. She needed a father to call her daughter. She needed more than just to escape the shame and the embarrassment of this chronic condition. She needed to hear a father cover her and say, you're free, be at peace, go, I bless you. You need that, you need that. I know exactly what you need. Remember in Mark chapter two, the guy who's paralyzed, four guys drop him through a roof, remember that story? What's Jesus say, first thing Jesus says? Does he say, be healed, get up and walk? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Over and over and over, we see Jesus do this. In Matthew chapter eight, verse one through three, there's a leper that comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What does Jesus do? First thing, he reaches out his hand and he touches him. He touches an unclean man with a skin condition that could easily be transferred to Jesus, but he knew that what this man needed more than anything was the restoration of social belonging. He needed a human touch because he had never experienced human touch from the moment he contracted his disease. He always knows exactly what we need, and here's what, I don't want to get in theological arguments, but here's the principle that I want to communicate. He knew what this woman needed. He knew that there is a test of offense that she had to pass, and she passed it. The tenacity of focus. I'm not gonna lose my focus. You know what offense does? It's a distraction that is sent from the enemy to take your gaze off of the promise that God has given to you. Do not allow the bait of Satan to deter your focus. And you can be offended by anybody. You can be offended. You have to own that truth. You could be offended by someone who's not even done anything to you. You're offended. And she refused to be offended. And she could have rightfully been offended, but she said, nope, the main thing's the main thing. I have to be unmoved. Moms, listen, you are fighting, you're contending, you're praying, you are setting your face like Flint. Don't get distracted. Stay in that place of contending with focus. Do not get offended until the promise comes. All right, second gal, let's go to Exodus. Let's go to Exodus chapter two. This gal is a gal who's not even named, and I love that. I love the fact that, that the scriptures in this particular story don't even mention the name of this mom. She's sandwiched somewhere in Leviticus because nobody reads Leviticus. (laughs) Y'all are judging me now. I read Leviticus. I guess i get that religious spirit out of here. Verse one, now a man of the house of Levi married a Levi woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. A Levite woman, don't even give her a name. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Why did she hide him? Because if you'll read in chapter one, you will find in the book of Exodus, if you're not familiar with this book, that the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, are living in the land called Egypt. And they have been slaves, they have been servants here for 400 years under a wicked and oppressive ruler named Pharaoh, which is, is a symbolic picture of Satan and the rule of sin in our lives. And this is what happened. The Hebrew children, man, they, they start multiplying. They just start multiplying. Babies are just coming and coming and coming. And he goes, all right, he's, he's watching this, and he's saying, if I don't step in and intervene The number of the people that are servants in my country are gonna outnumber the people of my own country. And so he devised a plan. And the plan was every male boy that is born, we're gonna execute them. We're gonna murder them. We're gonna commit infanticide. A demonic spirit, a demonic idea that entered into this wicked and oppressive ruler to wipe out the life and the destiny of millions of little baby boys. And listen, that same spirit has not gone away. Y'all can chew on that wherever y'all want to. Verse three, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds among the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Opening scene of the Prince of Egypt. That's that right there. Jochebed is her name, Moses' mother, Jochebed. And there was something that was going on in Jochebed. I believe it was the spirit of God moving upon her saying, you cannot follow the way of the system. You must be tenacious. You must revolt. You must trust me. And here's what Jochebed knew, and here's what, here's what Moses' father knew. Here's what they had to know, that if they were caught harboring a young male baby, they themselves would have been murdered. They had to have known that. And so for three months, she nurtures, she covers, she prays for she feeds, she bonds, she attaches, she pours out her heart over young Moses and realizes, okay, this is, this, is getting, this is getting too far. I don't think she even had a plan at that moment when she decided, I can't do this, I'm not gonna do this. I refuse. I refuse for the sake of convenience and I refuse for the sake of bowing down to the spirit of this age to just do things that are convenient. I refuse, I'm gonna revolt against that. I'm gonna trust God. I don't even know what the plan of God is. And I'm saying a lot of things right there and what I just said. So three months comes along and she creates a basket, covers it up and sends it into the river. Little Miriam is walking along the river, watching the basket go. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket. Coincidence? Happenstance? Accident? I don't think so. Because I think that there is a mom who is so tenacious in her trust. And here's what I believe. I got a lot of personal theories this morning. (laughs) We find that Miriam, Moses' sister, approaches Pharaoh's daughter and says, hey, I see that you have a baby there. Congratulations. Wink, wink, nod, nod. You need someone to help nurse that child because I know of a really good person. And in the sovereign brilliance of God, one act of trust releases favor on behalf of Jochebed, on behalf of Miriam, on behalf of Moses. And Moses actually ends up back into the bosom of his very own mother. And she continues the feeding and the strengthening process of this little baby. until she hands him back to Pharaoh's daughter. Now, here's what we don't think when we read this story. Jochebed nursed Moses, Jochebed connected with Moses, Jochebed gave her heart away to Moses and then handed him back over into the hand of a wicked empire's daughter. Or she handed him back into the hands of God. And I think that for 40 years, nay, 80 years Jochebed became one of the greatest intercessors for Moses' life. And I have this theory that whenever you have someone who's been selected to walk out the hard journey of the destiny of God upon their life, we look at Moses and we go, wow! Wrote five books of the Old Testament, wow! Confronted the powers of darkness, wow! Led the children of Israel out of exile. Who was praying for Moses? Who was interceding for his destiny? And watch this, who was willing to be nameless? Who was willing to be unrecognized? You know what, moms, listen, here is the hard level reality that you may never be known on this earth. No one may never write stories about you, but heaven is watching And you may be one of those critical, essential intercessors that make it possible for someone like Moses to do the exploits that he did. Are you willing to be tenacious in your trust and be unrecognized and unnoticed and your name not be written and you don't have all the ministry opportunities, but you stood in the corner and you made things happen in the spirit. And we can trace back revival after revival after revival from the Welsh Revival to the First Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening. And here's what I can tell you. To the to when Billy Graham was exploded in his ministry, we can trace all of those moves of God back to women who prayed behind the scenes. I promise you, follow the breadcrumbs Whenever you find miracles, whenever you find power encounters, trace the breadcrumbs, and they'll end. And when they end, you won't be able to find anyone because someone's hiding in prayer, making it happen. You are called to carry something powerful, even if you're not known in this earth. The tenacity of trust We should end. I got two other ladies to talk about, but we gonna end. Men, the, the women are saying no. Men, the, the women are saying no. Hey, let's hit these real quick, huh? First Samuel, first Samuel because this, one, this one's for someone. These next two, it's for someone. First Samuel, I'll go real fast. Chapter one, read First Samuel 1 and 2. Every mom, every dad, you gotta read 1 Samuel 1 and 2. 1 Samuel 1 and 2 is gonna speak to somebody this week, I prophesy, I promise you. There is someone here, the story of Hannah is a woman who was barren, and here's another thing that I don't understand. She was barren, and the scripture says that the Lord is the one who closed her womb. God, I got a lot of questions for you. I got a lot of questions for you. But I want you to entertain an idea with me, if you would. Because if you do a study on all the women who were barren, Sarah was one of them. Who did she produce? Isaac. Isaac married a gal named Rebecca. Rebecca and Isaac conceived twins. One of those names was Jacob. Anybody know anything about Jacob? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob ended up by deceit having two wives, one Leah, one he really didn't care about, the other one Rachel. Rachel was barren. Barren, uh, Rachel actually produced a boy by the name of Joseph. Joseph who delivered an entire nation and nations surrounding him that actually, actually poised the people of Israel to actually be in Egypt when they need it to be. Then we have a girl named Hannah. First Samuel falls right after a book named Ruth. Ruth actually follows a book by the name of Judges. Anybody know anything about Judges? Judges, we find that the people of Israel are completely rebelling against God and they find themselves in a cycle of lawlessness. There is really no time of sin in the nation of Israel like the time of the judges. And we constantly find this cycle where there was no godly influence, there was no prophetic voice, there was no apostolic kingship in the land in the time of judges, and so the people would constantly fall and just doing incredibly horrific things, sinful things. So God is watching this play out. He's watching this this national destiny, which affects generations, play out. And he says, I have to intervene. Because in the priestly structure at that time, there was a guy named Eli. And Eli had two sons that were absolutely wicked, Hophni and Phinehas. And so God says, I have to intervene. I have to intervene. I've got to break this cycle. So what does he do? He closes up a woman's womb. He closes up a woman's womb. And you know what happens? Three times in the book, in the NIV translation, it says that she was provoked. She was provoked. Is it possible that God could actually be involved in things to provoke you to a certain level of intensity that you would never get to otherwise? Is that possible? Is it possible that barrenness could actually push you to a place of such desperation that it causes you to do things in the spirit you would never do otherwise, and it's not even about you? Is it possible that it's necessary for a Nazarite to come forth to bring forth national deliverance, and that's what Samuel did? Is it possible to birth a prophet, you've actually got to go into fasting, and that's what happened in Hannah? She was so provoked that the scripture says that she began to fast. She began to move into a place of utter desperation. And here's my theory. My theory is that God was involved in this. He was he was shaping the circumstances. He was squeezing Hannah. He needed a prophet. And if you need a prophet, what do you need? You need a carrier. We see this in Mary. We see this in Elizabeth. We see women who were barren were pushed to places of intense desperation in God. And I know I listen. I understand this is very very sensitive, and I want to be extremely sensitive to this. But I'm just identifying a pattern that I see, and I'm laying this before you. And this is not just barrenness biologically. Barrenness in your life. Do not allow barrenness to to pull you down into despair and into indifference and impassivity. Allow it to provoke a desperation inside of you. Fast and pray and cry and seek and lean into God and see what grows out of you. And here's what we find. We find that she makes a deal with God and she says, I am so desperate. I am so moved. I am so sick of this. I am so sick of Peninnah. I am so sick of the shame that I, God, I'll do anything. And she says, God, this child is not my own. I'll give him back to you and he'll be raised in the presence of God. And and Samuel, from the moment he was weaned off of Hannah, was raised in the courts of the Lord, living in the presence of God. And here is the scary thought that entered into my mind as I've been meditating on this. Our children don't really belong to us. And that scares me. It scares me. But my children are not my own. Because here's what Hannah did. She gave him over and she visited him once a year. This revelation of motherhood that transcends, it transcends maternal, fleshly, soulish, and all those things are beautiful, they're amazing. There's nothing that touches them. And here's what God is saying, there's something bigger. I'm doing something bigger. I'm up to something bigger. You're thinking about Mother's Day cards and I'm thinking about turning and reversing the trajectory of an entire nation. Which leads me to my next person, Second Timothy one. I just can't wait to pray for you, ladies. Yeah. Let's get it on. Let's hurry up and get there. First, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. This is Paul, and if you don't know the background here, fan, fabulous background, Paul is a spiritual father to a young boy by the name of Timothy. And there's only one to reference to Timothy's father, and it's found in the book of Acts. And all it says about Timothy's father in Acts 16, 1 through 5, was that Timothy's father was a Greek, and so now Paul's got to get him circumcised. That's all we hear about Timothy's dad. But here, Paul chooses to raise up Timothy to be the apostolic successor to the church of Ephesus, and that's the whole point of, second, of First and 2 Timothy, Paul invests his life into this young man, and here's what we see. Verse five I have been reminded of your faith, son, which first lived in your grandfather. I have been reminded of your faith. I'm about to commission you with apostolic authority and I have your grandfather to think about it because he was so faithful in the faith and he passed that faith on to your father. Women are carriers. They are carriers. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived where? In your grandmother. Fighting nurturing carrying cultivating faithfulness in the small things what was Eunice doing she was she was at that time in that culture you know what she was doing she was faithfully and joyfully and diligently pouring the faith into a young girl by the name of Lois who's Lois who's Lois Lois is Timothy's mom, sorry, Lois Eunice. I knew I was gonna do that. Who, what was Eunice doing? Eunice, Timothy's mom, faithful, 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 unseen, mundane, mundane, same thing, day after day after day, and what comes out of it, Timothy? here's what Paul is saying. There are things that were deposited in you that are generational in nature because your grandmother carried something. What's the purpose of carrying something? To take it from one destination to another, to pass a baton of faith and anointing and vision and worldview and blessing. I've got to get this to the next generation. That's what Lois did. This is the tenacity of legacy. The tenacity of legacy. I'm just gonna brag here for a second on everybody who works in children's ministry. Not the least of which is my wife, who for the past five years have been laboring diligently up there When we're having revival down here. You know what they're doing? They're trying not to lose it. And we're up here jumping in the river. You know what they're doing? They're doling out goldfish and they're, they're, they're holding babies, and they're prophesying over the destiny of babies, and they're doing, they're doing glorious things like administration. And they're working through really important problems like making sure our check-in system is good. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that even all, all spectacular things may not necessarily be the things that are birthing eternal things every person who works in children's ministry, every person who has given up special days in this room, and it's a sacrifice, don't, let's, let's not play, don't play. It's a sacrifice, it is worship. And I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and I'm gonna, say, I'm gonna say that the worship that you're giving up there probably supersedes the easy worship that's here. Kids, get away from me, don't bother me, I gotta get into my meat place, I gotta can't be fired, I gotta worship Jesus. Mmm, so good, so easy here. It is hard to worship Jesus up there. But you know what you're doing? When you wake up early and you go set up, and you know what you're doing? When we have our Fifth Family Sundays and everybody ate first, but who? See y'all, we don't think about that, do we? We don't think about the fact that we over here and just throwing down And children's workers are tearing down. We throw them down, they're tearing down. And when they get here, guess what? Food's gone. Worship. 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 Legacy. Legacy. And if Antioch is here in 40 years, you know who? It won't be because of my great preaching. I just felt a holy fear of the Lord enter into this house and I love it. If Antioch is here in 40 years, it'll be because little kids have grown up to know their God to receive the baton and it'll be because of the hidden people that gave up rotisserie chickens to make sure that something lived beyond them. Happy Mother's Day. That's what it means to be a mom. It means to be tenacious in your focus. It means to be tenacious in your trust. It means to be tenacious in your perseverance and tenacious in your legacy, and you're not always gonna be recognized. And here's the God honest truth, one measly day out of the year does not do what you deserve. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. Moms, we salute you and we honor you. Moms who have carried children and raised children, moms who are in the throes, in the gauntlet, in the gauntlet of raising young kids, moms who are in the gauntlet of raising teenagers, and moms who are battling through the grief of having lost children, and moms who are battling through the hopelessness of longing for kids. Every mother and every woman, you carry in your DNA the DNA of tenacity, a special gift. Are you hearing this this morning? You carry this, it has been imparted into you by God himself for many, many things. And I'm gonna pray that that thing be activated on another level. Can I do that this morning? Can I bless you? Is everybody doing all right today? Everybody all guilty because you ain't serving in children's ministry? Take it off. Take it off. But I should see some more people sign up in the next few weeks come on if you're a mom here raise your hand if you're a mom here if you are a spiritual mother if you are a mom who has uh, carried in your womb and the life that you carried in your womb transitioned into the realm of the resurrected life which is a very real life and a very real reality raise your hand Father, today in the name of Jesus, I pray for every woman, every daughter, every mother of God in this house today. We love you. We bless you and we honor you today. And we pray that the hand of the Lord would rest on your life in a profoundly new way in this next chapter and this next leg of your race. And I pray that the word that was preached would put something inside of you. I pray that the word that was preached would put a tenacity and it would stoke and it would provoke and it would stir a tenacity inside of you. Moms, you've got what it takes. Moms, you can do it. Moms, I'm here to tell you today that you're called to carry your carriers. You've been entrusted to carry the things of the Lord. You've been entrusted to carry weighty things, eternal things. You've been entrusted to carry spiritual things. You've been entrusted to carry lives and legacies and destinies. And I pray the grace of God be upon you as a carrier, as a birther, the things that you're called to birth in the Spirit, we call those things forth. And I pray that you would not birth anything untimely. I pray that even, even though it's difficult, even though it's painful, even though it's uncomfortable, you would carry the burden and the vision of the Lord for as long as is necessary to the place of maturity and that God would give you a supernatural strength to bring into birth that which you are carrying. Speak to the moms today who have laid down their call to carry. I speak to the moms today that have laid down their call to birth, to travail, to wail. Scripture says that Hannah wept bitterly before god she wept so much so that the priest and the religious structure thought she was drunk and i declare over you today that god bless you for your call to travail for your call to birth into the realm of the natural what god has put in you in the realm of the spirit father i pray for every mother and every woman today God, I pray that there would be a renewed clarity and a renewed focus. Father, I pray for a, a heightened level of healing and wholeness. Father, I pray today that every assignment of the enemy against our women, we as men today, we say no. Every assignment of the enemy against our women to discourage them, to dissuade them, to distract them, to deter them. We speak to every assignment and we cancel its power against our women today. We build you up. We affirm you. We're grateful for you in Jesus' name. Let's all celebrate our moms one more time today, you guys.